everyone, this is Lars Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode, we're just talking about the Pistons. Ben Gulker and I talk about the hiring of John Beeline, the firing, mutual parting of ways with Greg Polinski, and a hypothetical trade scenario at the top of this year's draft. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for news and analysis and discussion this offseason. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Okay, there we go. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to uh, this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. How you doing, Ben? Laz, I'm doing really good, man. Watching some excellent basketball over the last couple weeks. So, yeah, that's been that's been a lot of fun. How are you? I'm doing good too. Uh, I as I came back from my uh, from my baby moon. I was able to watch some excellent basketball, not as much excellent basketball as I would have liked, but probably an amount of excellent basketball that was healthy for my marriage. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the games have been really good, and the series of series have been really good, and there have been a lot of surprises. Um, and that has reminded me just you know how far uh, our Pistons have to go until they are playing meaningful basketball like this. Uh, but uh, meaningful basketball aside, and entertaining basketball aside. The uh, the reason I wanted to have a podcast this week is because we got some Pistons like news, some like news items that happened that I was like, hey, I want to talk to Ben about this. Specifically, the first thing we're going to talk about, John Beeline is a Piston. Uh, Beeline will be a senior advisor focused on player development with Detroit. It sounds like he won't be on the bench, right? He will be part of the front office, not the coaching staff. Um, he may or may not be traveling with the team. For example, he will not like sit on Dwayne Casey's like coaching bench in any way. Remember, like Sammy Gelfand was part of the front office, but like sitting on the bench. Like I don't think John Beeline will be on the bench. Um, Beeline did. We did get the report that uh, Dwayne Casey was really instrumental and uh, really comfortable with bringing in Beeline as uh, as a part of the Pistons front office to help develop their young guys. Uh, and so, Ben, you have a little bit more John Beeline experience than I do. And so I definitely wanted to get your input. What did you think of the move? Well, my first reaction was just to be very, very surprised. Um, my second reaction was feeling a little bit nervous about it. But then I think kind of where I've ultimately landed is, um, you know, feeling kind of hopeful that this gives Beeline a way to put a more appropriate capstone on what I think is probably going to be the end of his career. You know, when when it was announced that he was leaving Michigan to coach in the NBA and obviously in a situation that didn't work out well for anyone, you know, I, I, honestly, I was a bit skeptical. Um, Beeline at the college level is – oh, his reputation was always just such as a, as a player's coach, which I think has really worked well for him. But the thing he never really had at his disposal at the college level anyway – 
was true like superstar elite talent. So by the, by the time he got to the NBA, not that the Cavs necessarily had any true elite superstar talent, but he didn't really have that sort of experience. And so, so that was sort of my nervousness for him. And then, unfortunately, you know, we all saw how the wheels kind of fell off. Um, you know, and the way that they fell off in particular was very surprising to me. Um, I don't think we need to rehash all of that controversy. Um, but it, it felt like, you know, something, something that was done and said in, in a heat of the moment that didn't necessarily reflect on his character. But it, unfortunately, was just sort of the straw that broke the camel's back uh, because nothing had been working where he was. Um, so I'll tell you what, I was not super excited about this initially until we got the reporting about Dwayne Casey. Um, you know, as we've talked about, I don't always love his X's and O's, but I've got a ton of trauma, uh, a ton of respect for him as a human being, as a manager of personalities. He's been absolutely fantastic. Um, and, and if he's got a good assessment of John Beeline and, and believes in John Beeline, then I'm inclined to go along with it. I do think, you know, the thing that that jumps out as you do have some Pistons right now who are 19, 20, 21 years old, you know, Beeline's success was right around that age group of players. And I think the thing that he did particularly well was he made teams into more than the sum of their parts. Um, You know, you look at the Pistons right now, as you talked about the, the playoffs sort of every year, shining a light on how far the Pistons have to go. That's never been more true than right now. The Pistons, I think the thing that jumps out to me in watching the playoffs, the Pistons don't have a guy, right? You look at, in particular in the West, like, you know, the Mavs and Luka Doncic, for example. The Mavs, probably not a legitimate contender, but pushing the Clippers to Game 7, which will tip off in a little bit uh, later today. And then a bunch of role players. Um, the Pistons got a handful of role players that I think is pretty good, that are pretty good. But the question of whether or not they're really going to get a star remains open. I am encouraged that, uh, you know, maybe some of John Beeline's experience getting more out of the sum of the parts than what the parts look like they're worth individually uh, may pay off down the road, especially when you think about, you know, that core four of rookies from a season ago who are really all still very young. So, you know, that's kind of my meandering journey over the last handful of days as a guy who was a really big John Beeline fan, uh, was really disappointed with how things played out in the NBA and I'm now just, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that this will be a, a positive thing for, for Coach Beeline and for the young guys on the Pistons roster. That really interests me, Ben, because I also kind of meandered in a similar way to you. Um, but I also, but I, and I also kind of arrived at the, a similar place, but I, I, that's not what I expected just because I know how much uh, respect and uh, that you have for John Beeline and the Michigan uh, basketball team. And so it's interesting to me that we, we both had that same journey, despite your, your closer exposure to, uh, to Beeline. Um, You know, we, I did want to, I didn't really want to talk about what happened in Cleveland. I don't think, I don't think obviously what happened in Cleveland was an ideal scenario for, for anyone. Um, And I do think that the, the straw that broke the camel's back, as you point out, gets outsize um like an outsized amount of importance placed on it when more focus i think should be on all the other straws that were on the camel's back in that cleveland situation 
which was my concern like coming into this um from like i was when when they moved when they announced the move i was going back through some of the reporting around you know beeline's hiring and and subsequent firing and it did kind of seem like he was just having real trouble adjusting to the nba lifestyle right he was having real trouble adjusting to say like the practice schedule um there was reports that like he was running the you know two a day practices with their summer league guys which you know makes sense because those are summer league guys and they need the reps but as a result like you know one of the second rounders that the Cavs uh that the Cavs had taken in that draft that they were pretty excited about you know he struggled with with injuries right coming into that season um the Cavs lost a bunch of their summer league games because they were practicing twice a day and then playing summer league games the next day right like uh, and so I, I wondered if when John Beeline came in to be a part of the Pistons, if his recommendations were just going to be, you know, run these guys like these guys are 19. They don't know how to play basketball yet. Let's just like have them practice a bunch. It's like I, I don't necessarily think like that was going to be the the best uh, like course of action for the team. Um, but again, like we got some of the reporting that sounds like you know, he's he's going to advise and. We have credited a lot of the Pistons play the rookies how with how they've been playing. Um, we should also credit like you know the some of the development staff that the team has right. Credit guys like DJ Baker, uh, JD du- JB or JD Dubois, excuse me, JD and Bryston Williams. Like those are the three player development coaches I think you hear about the most. And what it sounds like to me um, after I talk to some people is that like. Beeline, Beeline's knowledge and Beeline's, you know, decades and decades of experience about the game is going to be filtered through those player development coaches that the guys already know and like and trust. And so I think that is a great recipe for um, for getting these guys, for getting the players uh, into better spots to succeed. And I think that's also a good recipe for keeping John Beeline himself, um, you know, pretty happy. I don't think he... I don't really think he wants to deal with those day-to-day stresses uh, anymore either. And so I think you know having those player development coaches be uh, a buffer between the instructor and the instructees is, is going to be really useful for both sides. Uh, for both sides, excuse me. Um, I also had something about your your point about John Beeline not necessarily uh, always coaching elite talent. I was going back and looking through Michigan recruiting classes, which is not something I thought I would be doing on a weekend, but I was, Um, you know, Duncan Robinson, obviously like he gets credit for making guys like Duncan Robinson, Tim Hardaway Jr., Trey Burke, uh, Glenn Robinson, the third Mitch McGarry, like other guy, Karis LeVert, other guys, uh, NBA players, Um, Duncan Robinson, obviously D3 transfer, uh, you know, his story is well known and uh, he's about to get paid. You know, Tim Hardaway Jr. was a three-star recruit. Karis LeVert, three-star recruit. Uh, that's not to say he didn't get four-star recruits, right? Like Trey Burke was uh, Mr. Basketball in Ohio, I believe, and he was a four-star. Uh, GR3 was a four- or five-star, um, like four-star on Rivals and like four five-star on 24-7 or something like that. But uh, they were also like top – I think they were like top 30, top 25 guys, not like top two, top three guys. And so I did kind of wonder – if the Pistons end up with like a Cade Cunningham, which I hope they will, right? Or like an Evan Mobley, which again, I hope they will. Or like a Jalen Green, which I, which I hope they will. Like how 
how John Beeline kind of internalizes coaching like that level of guy who's already got a level of talent, who's already uh, experienced, you know, a lot of coaching that's made them successful. Uh, it was like, who is this guy like telling me how to play the game? Like I already know how to play the game because I've been, because I'm the number one pick and I've been successful and blah, blah, blah. So I was like, and again, that's where the player development coaches come in. Right. And, Sometimes these guys want to be coached. It really does come down to uh, personality and mentality. And I think that's also important. So, yeah, it's. I think ultimately my my hope is that this is going to be a good thing. Um, I can see ways in which it goes bad, but for now, initially, I'm going to remain like hopeful that this is going to work out for the Pistons. Yeah, the term advisor is interesting, right? Um, you kind of hinted at this. I think w- one of the things that was always fascinating to me as a fan of the Big Ten, and uh, obviously a Michigan fan as opposed to a Michigan State fan, is there's this really stark contrast in approach. If you look at a guy like Tom Izzo and then you look at a guy like John Beeline, particularly from the perspective of like behavioral psychology and revo- rewards versus punishment. So right. Izzo is the guy who, if you make a mistake, like the hammer's coming down, right? <laughs> You're going to hear about it on national TV in front of everybody and you're going to get dressed down, right? Beeline is like the the complete opposite end of that spectrum where he was all about positive reinforcement and encouragement and very slow to yank guys for making a mistake and so on. So to me, you know, whether or not those two guys would frame it in terms of psychology, certainly from a coaching perspective, they were at very different ends of the spectrum and how you approach people. So, you know, sort of what I wonder is, you know, was Beeline brought in to be somewhat of a coach to coaches, right? So that he's advising coaches on different mechanics and techniques and approaches to use with players and less working with players directly. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. Um, But it's the last thing I wanted to mention, just because, you know, advisor doesn't sound like coach, right? It's a different word. So what does that role end up being? And if it does end up having some of this coaching to coaches stuff, I personally am a a much bigger believer in the sort of positive reinforcement approach to coaching. So if if that comes to fruition in any way, um, I will be a fan of that. Yeah. I, I have long maintained that as much as I like uh, Izzo, as much as I appreciate what Tom Izzo has done for the Michigan state program, the program, like I consider myself a part of, I don't think his stuff would work at the NBA level specifically for that reason. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that that is uh that's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting thing to evaluate, and it's hopefully gonna make a lot of these Pistons young guys better. Shout out to uh, Josh Barlstein, who apparently had a big hand in making this happen. Um, so ne- next next uh, piece of news that we got this week, Ben was it not not a corresponding move. It's not like uh, John Beeline got hired, so this other person got fired, but. Uh, the Pistons parted ways with Greg Polinski, their senior director of player personnel. Uh, if you remember, Polinski was brought in when Stefanski was brought in to kind of oversee the the addition and subtraction of player personnel um, for the team. What did you think of the job Greg Polinski did over the last three years, Ben? Did, did it feel like for the first two years in particular, before Troy Weaver was here, the Pistons were doing a good job of bringing in the correct players well no (laughs) they didn't um 
you know, they were stuck in this awkward transition phase, right? Of right. were they going to try to compete for something interesting or were they going to try to rebuild? And, you know, ultimately it fell flat. The extent to which that's about personnel is something we've hashed out for years on the pod. Um, you know, I, I think they kind of reached pretty close to their ceiling the one season they made the playoffs and, and Blake Griffin's somewhat historic individual season under Dwayne Casey. Um, but, you know, they didn't they didn't do terrible things by any stretch of the imagination. They just were never able to get all of the right the right pieces together. Um, I, I think, you know, if I were Troy Weaver, I would I probably would be doing the same types of of moves, regardless of how successful the previous regime was, mm-hmm. if for no other reason than you know, you're going to own this if it if it works or if it fails, right? That is going to be on you. So you need to have the people in place that you're confident in, that share your vision, that share your mission. Even if you know a guy like Polinsky, who's a holdover from Stefanski, is in the organization or not, right? So you know, to the extent that we even know the full picture of what guys like Polinsky are doing, I don't know, you know, we don't, we don't have the org chart and day-to-day job descriptions, but yeah, I'm completely fine with, with Weaver reshaping this thing. Um, because look, it, I, I think we've talked about Laz, you know, Jeremy Grant's comments toward the end of the season, how far away is this Piston team from being good? Well, we've watched a couple of weeks of the playoffs now. They're, st- they're still a long ways away. This is still yeah, a multi-year project. <laughs> and uh, Weaver's got to have the guys he believes in. Um, and so I'm, I'm completely fine with that. Yeah. I. It is interesting to me that it is happening now. Yeah. The timing is interesting. Um, I, you know, we, it does seem like Troy Weaver came in with a specific ideal of how he wanted his team to be built. Um, I do wonder... Like now we're seeing front office additions and departures. Um, I do wonder like why why he chose to do this now instead of like when he was first hired, right? I think some of that has to do with COVID, right? It's hard to, you know, when when the entire NBA is kind of frozen in amber because the season hasn't ended. When uh, like when when Troy Weaver got hired, right? The um, it was August. It was August of last year, and they hadn't started playing in the bubble yet essentially and oh, that's so, like, so weird I know, I know right and so it's like yeah the stuff was happening but like you know team individuals who you would want to replace greg polinski say for example might still be engaged with a current team that's like you know competing for a playoff spot competing for making the bubble um so it's i, I understand the the timing is just being a little off um and it seems like the player personnel was done adequately this year we talked about uh our surprise about how quickly the entire roster was restructured underneath troy weaver um it's it's not like we we don't know who exactly is responsible for what it does seem like troy weaver has his fingerprints on a lot of the additions and so i do kind of wonder like how much a uh greg polinsky's uh input was 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 actually input into some of these decisions but uh but yeah i I think this is going to be this just another example of how like Troy Weaver is, this is Troy Weaver's Detroit Pistons, right? This is this is one man's uh, identity or I- ideal of uh, what the team should be like imprinted onto it, and it remains the results so far are are good. It remains to be see if it remains to be seen if those results get from good to great to elite 
um, to the level of some of these playoff teams that we're, we've been currently watching, right? All right, Ben. Uh, and the the last thing I want to say is that I, I wouldn't I would not be surprised if we hear more front office coaching staff moves uh, coming up down the pike. Um, James Edwards kind of hinted at this and one of his uh, postseason pieces that there would be more uh, front office shakeups to come. Um, it would not surprise me if we saw uh, some like beeline as a coach. And we talked about how beeline might be just a coach of coaches. Um, we also talked about Dwayne Casey and how we're not always enamored with his X's and O's. It would not surprise me if uh, in addition to beeline, they pursued another coach who would be better about the X's and O's uh, on the, to be like, to be an assistant um, as the, as the team wants to, as the team wants to get better. And as they want to improve, adding talent is going to be a big part of that. But you know, when you have the talent, you need to be able to build a baseline of coaching on top of that. And so like, I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen. Um, you know, with that said, I am, I am pleased about the uh, the stability the Pistons front office and coaching staff has shown throughout this rebuild because like as we're seeing you know if you don't succeed in the playoffs like you, a lot of stuff you could have a lot of upheaval right the the Pacers are uh, the coaching situation there is currently in flux uh, Portland has already let go of their head coach um, in a very understandable sense right. Um, Orlando was looking there like, you know, they're going through another rebuild and it sounded like, uh, Steve Clifford did not want to be part of another rebuild, uh, another deep, deep rebuild, uh, like, like the magic are going through. And so I'm, I remain comforted about the, the stability the Pistons have moving forward, Ben. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, that that's one of the things when you think about how young the Pistons are, it's hard to capture it in any sort of quantitative way, but I think, you know, anyone who ever played sports as an athlete at any level, like when you're just a young, formative, essentially teenager, like having consistency from week to week and day to day and year to year can matter quite a bit. So, you know, the Dwayne Casey one-year extension we've talked about, some level of stability at the assistant coaches level and head coach level, even when the GM changes, I think all of that stuff is is important right now um, because, Obviously, where these kids are right now and where they're going to be in four years is is a lot different. And so having some stability around so that, you know, they're not having to worry about learning a new system every year or every other year. They're focused on developing their internal skill sets and, and sticking with something consistent, even if it's not perfect. I don't know. I personally prefer that to a coaching carousel during a rebuild for sure. All right, Ben. The one thing, so I didn't put this on the sheet, but I meant to. So we're going to roll with the punches here for a second. Uh, The NBA lottery, the drawing, I believe is on June 22nd. If I have that correct, I could Google right quick, but I'm not real close to to that. If it's not that. Yeah. So the, um, we will know where the Pistons draft position is in, you know, little over two weeks, give or take Um, one hypothetical that has been, asked of me a lot that I wanted to pose to you to get your input on that I've been refusing to answer just because I don't I don't really want to think about it <laughs> is uh, we know Oklahoma City has the potential to have multiple uh, top five picks in this upcoming draft so a question that's been asked a bunch of me 
It's like if the Pistons ended up at one and Oklahoma City ended up with like two and five, like would you be willing to trade one for both two and five in this year's draft? So there would have to be some other moving pieces, yeah, most likely. Are you thinking two for five straight swap? Two for five and then like maybe some of the Pistons seconds that they have in this year's draft. They'd be like two for one and 37 for two and five. Okay, so let's think. Oklahoma City in this scenario is presumably moving up to go get... Would they be moving up to get Cade, do you think? I think they would be, yeah. Cade went to college in Oklahoma, uh, you know... I don't know how I don't know what sense of loyalty he feels to that state and that uh, that place, but I do think there is a huge marketing opportunity for the Thunder if they were able to obtain him. Yeah, that's yeah. for sure. Um, that goes without question. I mean, I would absolutely entertain this. I think so. Is Mobley second on your draft board or third, Laz? He's second on mine. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of starting to become a success, uh, consensus. I guess like. The weird thing is the Pistons have prospects at one and five, right? You've got Killian and you've got Stewart, both of whom are at least projected to be well below the one and five who would go one, two this year. I mean, I would, I would very seriously consider this. Um, You're probably going to be back in the lottery either way, because I don't think either of those guys are moving you, you know, whether you're picking one or two plus five, you're probably not moving the needle dramatically in year one, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I would I would seriously consider it because then you'd be looking at another, like, you know, a, a year from now, presumably like a three to seven or a three to eight range, right? So you have the opportunity to add three top eight picks in two years. That would be extraordinarily tantalizing. I think what it would come down to is like, you know, what's the difference in your evaluation of one versus two, right? Like, Where's the ceiling higher? You look at today's NBA, you know, it's hard not to to want the point guard. Like you look what the point guards, look at what Damian Lillard has been doing in the playoffs. Look at what um, look at what Trey Young is doing. Trey right Young now. is doing, yeah, literally today to the 76ers. Like it would be really, really hard to pass on a guy who could potentially deliver some of things, those things to you. But I don't know, being able to refill more than one position is, is pretty appealing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been stuck just because it matters to me, the difference between one and two, obviously, but because I think, you know, who you're getting at one and you know who you're getting at two. And so you can, you can shuffle that around in your mind as you wish. I think the really big swing thing it comes down to is who you take at five, right. And who you like at five. Um, you think about other similar pass trades like this. You think about like the like using Trey Young as an example. You think about the Luca for Trey trade that happened um, on that day, and how it really ended up being you know Trey Young and Cam Reddish for Luka Doncic. It's like uh, Trey is not as good as Luca. Luca's really amazing, um, but Trey is really good in his own right. And but the the issue is that Cam Reddish. Uh, has had a lot of potential, but hasn't necessarily been, you know, him and him and Trey combined don't make a Luca. And I think if you if you make that two for one trade, you're hoping that you know Mobley plus X equals Cade, um, and that like that's the that's the difference between um, your two things. I I've been thinking about this. 
I think that it'd be really interesting. Um, I think I right now, I think I would still stay at one just because I believe like everyone knows, like I've been a big proponent of what Evan Mobley would bring to the Detroit Pistons, but I'm just such a, I'm such a big believer in the, both the talent and the fit of the NBA in 2021 that, that Cade Cunningham presents. Yeah. Cade Cunningham presents just like, it's just a seamless roster construction piece. He fits anywhere and everywhere. And the talent is so obvious that it's easy to imagine building a variety of different teams around Cade Cunningham in a way that it doesn't necessarily make as much sense for a, for an Evan Mobley or for like a Jalen Green or for a Jalen Suggs, for example. And so I, I think I would stick with one in this situation. I've been avoiding answering this question for real uh, on Twitter, but I think that uh, I think I think um, I, I can answer it fairly on the podcast and with with the uh, idea that I get to change my mind later. If I change my <laughs> mind later, yeah. Well, there's two other things that I'm thinking of while you're talking. The first is you don't necessarily have to assume that the Pistons would retain that fifth pick or whoever they drafted, right? Like you could That's see that great point flipping into like a. A, a future pick from somebody else that's protected or whatever. Um, the other thing that factors in is like, obviously if you draft Cade at one, like you're stuck with a Killian and Cade backcourt. I say stuck with, but the, the, the yeah, that's, reason that's that, one of them good problems. Ben. Right. Right. No, that's for sure. I think the thing that is a little bit of a drawback there in addition to them playing the same position is um, I don't think Killian Hayes has a lot of trade value right now because of the season he just had. Right. Mm-hmm. So you'd kind of be stuck in air, right, air quotes until Killian develops into an asset. And that might be kind of painful. And I don't, I don't know that that should factor in the evaluation one way or the other, but if Killian Hayes had had a, like a Sadiq Bay type season, maybe you, you fall in love with Kate and you can move on from Killian now and get something back for him, but you're just, you're just not going to get much like his potential untapped, his potential untapped potential, <laughs> his untapped potential is worth more than you're going to get anything back in a draft pick right now. Um, so you're on, you have, you have two point guards and you just have to live with that. Yeah. I, I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about this and I've been saying this. I don't think, uh, I don't think you have to. I think Cade and Killian fit together really well. I don't like Cade was a point guard most of the time at Oklahoma State, but they also ran a lot of stuff with him leveraging off ball movement and the threat of him being off ball to open up things for other guys. We saw a decent, we saw a non trivial amount of Killian playing off the ball during the stretch of the season. True. Um, I definitely think that was something that the front office was telling the coaching staff like hey like we we need to know if Killian can play off the ball or not um in, in case something comes up uh Killian played a decent amount off the ball in Germany as well remember uh played next to Zoran Dragic the brother of Goran Dragic and uh like Archie Goodwin and so like he was he wasn't on the ball the entire time at Germany he had it most of the time but not not all the time and Cade's 68 right like he if Cade's your nominal shooting guard who just handles the ball a lot, like you, that, <laughs> that doesn't that uh, that and that enables like a Killian to still play point guard, right? You can still because both of those guys can make plays like with and without the ball. I think they just fit cohesively, right? They amplify one another as opposed to um, the situation you'd run into with uh, who's a 
good example of just your turn, my turn uh, type of thing. Where uh, like you, you can't you could you could run a Killian Cade pick and roll like you uh, you you couldn't necessarily do that with like uh, Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal right like oh jeez yeah yeah like both both of those guys very talented right we saw them perform well in the playoffs but um, because of Russell's like lack of gravity off the ball yeah it does it like that's trickier than it would be I think for for Killian and Cade. Um, so yeah, and then I think if Kelly, if Cade's your small, your small forward or your shooting guard with like whatever, it doesn't matter. Just put him on the floor. I, he's so good that he works with everybody, and so I'm I'm less worried about like the quote unquote problem of a of a Cade Killian backcourt. But yeah, so okay, yeah, that was good. That was good. Uh, good adjustment on uh, on my part. I so uh, for real though, like people have been asking me that on Twitter for like two weeks, and so. Like when I'm, I'm peel back the curtain a little bit. It's like when I'm thinking about like, okay, like, do we have enough stuff to do a podcast? It's like, <laughs> oh, if I throw in this hypothetical, we have enough stuff to do a podcast. And then last night I'm typing up the sheet and I just like completely forgot about this, but <laughs> we got it in there. Uh, okay. All right, Ben. Uh, what, what are you excited about to watch in the uh, second round of these here playoffs? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm excited to watch the conclusion of the first round. We're recording this immediately prior to Dallas and uh, Clippers. That has been my series. I have been finding myself enjoying that series tremendously. Is it because of the uh, massive amount of ex-Pistons on those teams? <laughs> Laz, can you believe it? I think Sean, Sean replied to a tweet a week or two ago, and there's like 13 guys or something that are all like <laughs> former Pistons from the past handful of years all playing like meaningful minutes. And it's like, you know, the Pistons, they haven't completely failed at personnel. They just never got, they, they never the had guy. the right star and they yeah. never quite had the right mix of the role guys around the star they didn't have. <laughs> but uh, no, that series has been tremendous to me. Of course, Phoenix. So like Phoenix and the Mavs were kind of my two teams in the West I was interested in. Phoenix, of course, send uh, sends LeBron home, which, you know, Anthony Davis, unfortunately, was not able to contribute in a meaningful way down the stretch of that series. But to me, that was a blast to see. Um, Chris Paul, to me, is one of the top point guards of the last 30 years. And he's never found himself, I think, in a, in a better situation to potentially win a championship uh, after knocking out um, the Lakers. So I'm super interested in both of those teams, both of those series. The The East is just, I don't know, man, it's just not as interesting to me. Um, Brooklyn seems like the clear runaway favorite. And I don't know, I just... I really don't enjoy watching James Harden. I never really have, um, and I'm not a huge Kyrie fan. So I don't know that that the Eastern Conference kind of as a whole is just sort of meh to me. But the West Coast has been a whole lot of fun, and it is cool to see Atlanta win. It looks like I think they won. I think they just won. Yeah, they just won a cool upset against a Philadelphia team. Um, you know that finds itself at the top of the heap for the first time. Maybe that'll get a little bit more interesting in the East to me. Yeah, the. So with the Brooklyn Milwaukee series, I think that's going to be a really important series for, you know, who ends up winning the championship. Both of those teams are obviously championship contenders in a way that despite Atlanta's win just now, I don't really think that they're capable of winning yeah. a championship. Um, it was a weird game last night. Uh, bad shooting from Milwaukee, bad coaching and how they want to attack Brooklyn. Brooklyn, of course, uh, lost the, second 
third. I don't know how you feel about Harden, but he's the he's one of the top three players on that team, and he didn't play uh, any meaningful minutes in those games. Um, and it, the 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 injury he has, the hamstring injury, the soft tissue injury, um, those are notoriously like hard to heal from. So I doubt. At this point, I don't know if we see him again in the series, and that's like something that's a rough adjustment for Brooklyn to have to make. But uh, those games have been those games have been really interesting, um, just from a technical level uh, of the basketball being played. Um, I am I was fascinated by the uh, by the Heat Bucks series. That was something that was really impressive to me that um, Milwaukee was able to to stymie Miami uh, so easily. And the uh, the Utah Jazz, the Utah Jazz did a great job of just shutting down uh, what the Grizzlies like wanted to be doing, and uh, Grizzlies just didn't have enough offense. And with the potential elimination of the Clippers in like two and a half hours, could you imagine both LE teams? That would be so crazy. That would be so crazy, and like it that paves the way, right, for like a Utah Jazz. NBA championship and something I think would be good for the league overall to kind of prove that you don't necessarily need one of these like apex predator wings in order to win a championship. It'd be good for the league, I think, to have a champion that did not come from a major market in uh, in a way that like feels authentic to people in a in a way that the bubble championship kind of does and kind of doesn't depending on who you talk to. Um, and Denver, Portland, Denver, Portland, man, that was just, serious. that was an insane series. And now it looks like, uh, Portland is going to self immolate as a result of that series. And, uh, it just reinforces my notion that Denver was going to be, uh, a real legitimate championship team, uh, even before Jamal Murray mate went down. Um, and it looks like that still might be the case just cause Nikola Jokic is that good. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this has been, this has been some excellent excellent basketball yeah the was it game six where damian lillard i mean just that was game five yeah. game five yeah i mean i i was reaching through the crowd i was like have i ever seen anything like this before i mean the definition of clutch it's just incredible and then the mo it was like it felt like dame's career encapsulated into like this three minute stretch where the moment he decides to defer to his teammates, like the wheels fall off, mm-hmm. right? Like he mm-hmm. was the only one who could deliver. And I think NBA fans as a whole just sort of reacted to and just felt a tremendous amount of sympathy because that feels like the story for him in Portland. No, absolutely. And he, he's made his, his, he's made himself out to be the guy who does not want to like, uh, doesn't want to join up with other, you know, top five players to win a championship He's made himself out to be the guy who, um, like, if he doesn't win a championship, he still feels like he accomplished a lot in his career and he's happy with that, which makes uh, makes me want a championship for him even more just because I know, like, he, the knowledge that he doesn't need it makes me want it for him anymore. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's it's crazy. But, yeah, Ben, this, is, this has been fun. It's been good to rap about basketball with you. Um, you know, let the people know where they can find you, where they can talk about this uh, Clippers uh, Mavericks game seven that just went underway. Yeah, just tipped off. This is going to be a good one. Um, I'm I'm excited about this. Uh, Abbyar Galker on Twitter. Um, again, yeah, I've been having more fun watching the late games, believe it or not. So if you want some late night, overtired, sleep deprived tweets from Ben Galker, find me on Twitter, Abbyar Galker. 
And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. I've been trying to tweet less during the games and actually like pay attention to them more. Having having tweet deck up and like watching the scroll is bad for watching the game. Mm-hmm. So, so I've been trying to just like delineate that a little bit better. But yeah, no, we'll we'll still talk about uh, basketball stuff for sure as the season goes on. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. And we will talk to you guys, I don't know, like sometime in the future. It won't be that long. See you guys.